Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. This episode is sponsored by Wonder Seekers, an initiative that brings together science and tourism to inspire exciting learning adventures that are unique, authentic and sustainable. Find out more at wonderseekers.com. Discover, experience, expand your mind. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of inspiring stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures. I'll tell you immersive stories to whisk you away, share some of my top tips for your own Scotland trip, and introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. It is time to hit the road again. After a few weeks exploring the big cities of Glasgow and Edinburgh and hearing stories from locals who lived there, today's story is taking us back to the Highlands. We're not just visiting one, but two locations that are very close to my heart. The seaside town of Oban on the west coast and the outdoor capital of the UK, otherwise known as Fort William. A few weeks ago, I joined a trip that was organised by Wonder Seekers, a new initiative that promotes experiences that combine travelling with science and learning. The activities are all about getting people excited to learn new things about all kinds of scientific disciplines, from marine biology and geology to learning about cultural traditions. Scotland is one of several countries that is involved in Wonder Seekers, and I was very excited to learn more about the project. Travelling to me is about so much more than just looking at pretty landscapes. It's all about engaging with those landscapes and the people who live there on a meaningful level. And it's the people I met on our experiences in Oban and Fort William that really brought this trip to life. It was a no-brainer when Wonderseekers asked if I wanted to write a story about my experiences from that trip. You'll hear all about the places we visited, the scientists we met, and some of the fascinating things I learned from them about the west coast of Scotland. This is Never the Same. (laughs) 
What's the oldest thing you've ever held in your hand? Maybe the bark of a tree that is hundreds of years old. Or a can of plum tomatoes that was hiding in the back of your pantry for longer than you'd like to admit. For me, it's a triangular piece of Acasta Nice from the Canadian Northwest Territories. It filled about half the size of my palm and weighed as much as holding a small potato. It was mostly dark grey, but also covered in specks of white and pink. Like veins, these brighter colours meandered across the surface of the rock, forming bumps and dimples that I could trace with my hands. Acasta gneiss is the oldest kind of rock that has ever been found on the planet. It's 4 billion and 31 million years old, which is just about 500 million years shy of the age of our planet. Now, if you're anything like me, that number is pretty meaningless. I mean, I can barely imagine what life was like 500 years ago, never mind 500 million years. When we think about geology, the timescale of change is simply unfathomable. It's like hearing that the supermassive black hole at the centre of our galaxy is 100,000 times bigger than our sun. Those kinds of numbers are so extreme, they are impossible to imagine. With a little help though, like being able to touch a piece of rock that was there when it all began, you start to develop a sliver of understanding. It makes these timescales literally more tangible. That's when the learning process starts. And another thing that is helpful is to actually have someone there with you who can explain the facts and the context of these things. Someone who really knows what they're talking about and can give examples or comparisons to make things a little easier to understand. In other words, a real expert. Connecting you with these experts is the mission of Wonder Seekers, a new initiative for scientific tourism in Scotland, Finland, Iceland, Greenland and other Nordic countries. Their goal is to inspire people from all walks of life to look at travelling as a way to learn and broaden their horizons. But not just by the sheer presence of a different culture abroad. Wonder Seekers wants to connect visitors with experts and scientists so they can learn in a hands-on fashion about oceans and seas, plants and animals, volcanoes and climate, and so much more. Here in Scotland, these learning experiences range from short walking tours in the Highlands to in-depth citizen science projects where people without a scientific background can participate in research projects about anything from basking sharks to butterflies. I joined Wonder Seekers for a two-day adventure fusing travel, science and learning in Fort William and Oban. Together, we're trying some science-based experiences on the coast and in the mountains and visit one of the leading research facilities on the west coast of Scotland. But let's start at the beginning. Like a bird of prey, I'm scanning the surface of the calm sea in front of me. The binoculars in my hands bring the ocean close, but since I can only see a small portion of the bay, I have to keep moving. Left to right, front to back, sometimes peeking out from behind the glasses to get a bigger picture. I'm looking for lines in the water, caused by the tide or different currents mixing below the surface. 
It's near those lines where you might be able to spot dolphins or whales. But all I see is a flutter of a seagull, spooked by the rumbling engine of an approaching boat. I'm on a land-based whale-watching experience with the Hebridean Whale and Dolphin Trust, a marine conservation charity that works to protect whales, dolphins and porpoises in Scottish waters. We made our way past the ruins of Dunstaffnage Castle and onto a stretch of rocky coastline. From this slightly elevated position, we have a great vantage point of Ardmuchnish Bay and the channel between the mainland and the Isle of Lismore in the distance. The sky is clear and the sea is calm. The sun feels warm on my skin. I can see the outlines of Lismore Mall and the Morvan Peninsula, still dressed in their brown-purple winter clothes. The steel piers of the Connell Bridge blend seamlessly into the landscape. The rocks below my feet are covered in bright yellow, white and green-grey lichens. Our guide Siobhan is handing out binoculars and ID cards that show the most common whales and dolphins you can spot here on the west coast of Scotland, if you're lucky. There are harbour porpoises and bottlenose dolphins, basking sharks and minke whales. Even killer whales are regular visitors here during the summer months. And while I keep an eye on the water surface, Siobhan explains more. So, does anybody here know the difference between a whale and a dolphin? Size. Size <laughs> can be an indicator, yes. Behaviour. Behaviour. If we saw something out there, what do you think would be the easiest way to tell if it was a whale or a dolphin? The size. Fin. Size. Back fin. The fin is the kind of key one. So if you look on this side, we've got our dolphins, and that dorsal fin is bang in the middle of their back. Yep. So if you see something surfacing, that fin's going to be right in the middle. Now this is our whale down here. And you can see that dorsal fin is kind of two-thirds of the way down its back, much closer to the tail. So what does this tell us about the killer whale? That it's a dolphin. That it is indeed a dolphin, wow. yes. Yeah, just a really poorly named one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Now, there's a really, really fierce debate in whale-watching communities about whether we call them killer whales or orca. As an organisation, because we're a scientifically-based organisation, we refer to them as killer whales, because that is the common name for them. Orca is just half of the Latin name, which is Orcanus Orca. But I neatly sidestep all of this by going for the Gallic, <laughs> which is Madakuine, which translates as Ocean Wolf, which is, I think, a much better name for fantastic, you know, they live in a fa strong family pod, like a pack. They hunt really smartly together. So I think we'll go with Ocean Wolves for our killer whales. Um, one by one. Siobhan goes through the animals on our card and explains more about the species, where they live, what they look like in real life, how they behave, what threats they face today in our seas, and also how the work of the Hebridean Whale and Dolphin Trust tries to counteract those. We hear about dolphin belly buttons, as well as the risk of infertility among whales that's caused by pollution and inbreeding. Many have been tracked for decades and have never appeared to be pregnant which in itself sends all kinds of alarm bells. The rocky shoreline we're standing on is just a few miles north of Oban and a stone's throw away from the Scottish Association for Marine Science, a university and research centre that is dedicated to educating 
and training the next generation of marine biologists and scientists, hopefully so that they can find the root causes of these problems and contribute to solutions before it's too late. The work by Siobhan and her colleagues plays an important role in this, because through experiences like our land-based safari, the charity inspires people like myself to feel more responsible for the well-being of the ocean. In fact, the observations by people without a scientific background makes up a huge part of the Trust's work. We can learn so much from asking locals what they used to see when they grew up and compare that to observations nowadays. Anyone can use the Trust's Whale Tracker app to record what marine wildlife they see. And even if you see absolutely nothing, that still helps to piece together a bigger picture of the state of the ocean and its inhabitants. It feels good to know that we can all be a part of this important work. The next day, we make our way along the coast to Fort William. It's raining, but even in this grey and dreech weather, the coastline and the mountains inspire awe in me. Fort William lies in the heart of the Scottish Highlands and at the centre of the Loch Aber Geopark. And when it comes to geology, this area really packs a punch. The landscapes of Loch Aber have been formed by volcanic eruptions and explosions, carved by glaciers, rivers and lochs. Here you can see the remains of tectonic plates violently crashing into each other and magma erupting as they were pulled apart. Loch Aber is where you can find the highest mountain in the UK, an ancient volcano that eventually formed Ben Nevis. Expanding from Fort William along the River Lochy towards Inverness, the Great Glen Fault is a geological tear in the Earth's crust that was formed hundreds of million years ago. Today it is home to the deepest lochs in Scotland. Different kinds of rock give us clues about how these landscapes changed over time, sometimes sudden, other times at a glacial pace. The region is littered with signs of volcanic impact, calderas and lava fields, glens carved by glaciers and folded layers of rocks. But unless you know what to look for, these secrets can easily remain hidden in the landscape. And that's why we meet Ian Parsons, a geologist and emeritus professor of mineralogy at the University of Edinburgh. He currently serves as the director of the Loch Aber Geopark and welcomes us to their small visitor centre on Fort Williams High Street to talk about rocks and the geological significance of the region. The centre is stuffed with exhibits and displays. A colour-coded 3D model of the park illustrates the geological history of the region. A big colourful timeline on the wall shows the development of the planet and points out that humans have only been around for 0.1 millimetres on the scale of the illustration. Rocks in different shades of grey are displayed on shelves. Some are shiny and plain, others are striped or spotted with different colours. There is a cabinet filled with sparkling minerals and gemstones and on the walls, there are colourful boards explaining geological features around the area and leaflets full of suggested trails and routes to explore interesting sites in the park. And before we know it, we're off on our way to one of them. 
We make our way past Glen Loy, from where you can see the sprawling Great Glen and the peaks of the Nevis Range. At the top of the road, I can see the Commando Memorial and another great vista of Ben Nevis in the distance. We pass through Spean Bridge and Roy Bridge and eventually find ourselves on a winding single-track road that climbs higher and higher on the slopes of the Glen. The route takes us through a fairy tale woodland where every bend has the potential to reveal another mesmerising scene of moss-covered rocks and small birch trees that bend across the road. As we emerge from the trees, high moors come into view. We reach a car park on a little knoll and get out. An icy wind hits my face and reminds me that the seasons always come late when you're up in the mountains. I zip up my jacket and wrap my scarf tighter around my neck. At first I'm not sure what I'm looking at. We're in the heart of a highland glen, and there are hills all around us. It's pretty, but there aren't any rocks. And then I see them. Three perfectly parallel lines on the slopes in the distance. A thick layer of heather covers these hills. But then, like some giant took out a ruler and drew a line in the landscape, the heather stops. There's a thin strip of grass, and then the heather continues. Then it stops again for another line of grass and continues a little longer this time. And then, you guessed it, it stops again to make space for grass. The contrast between the dark brown heather and the bright yellow grass is stark. The lines are so clear, too perfect to be natural. But of course, in geology, there is an explanation for everything. So what what can we see here and what is it? <laughs> well, those, you see the three li- lines? Mm-hmm. They are perfectly horizontal, perfectly horizontal. And nobody could explain them because glaciation hadn't been invented. Nobody occurred to anybody that glaciation could have occurred here and that the glacier could have blocked this valley and filled it with water, which is what actually happened. So there was this long controversy in the 1840s, starting in the 1840s roughly, about the origin of those lines. Ian goes on to explain that some 12,000 years ago, Glenroy was filled with water. The loch was about 260 metres deep and marked the hills in the glen. That's the lowest line you can see today. But then a glacier of the West Highland ice sheet made its way up the glen, pushing the water level upwards. That's how the middle line was formed. And as the glacier advanced, the water level kept rising and formed the highest line. Eventually, the glacier began to melt and allowed the water level to fall back down, revealing perfectly parallel lines in the landscape that puzzled scientists for a long time. Geologists McCulloch and Lauder thought they had originated from ancient lakes, but had no idea what held the water in the glen. Charles Darwin was convinced the lines, or roads as they became known as, were formed by the ocean, and even wrote a long-winded paper about his theory. But it was Louis Agassiz who eventually suggested a glacier to be the culprit. The debate was fierce and Darwin reluctant to admit his mistake, but eventually fieldwork at Glenroy confirmed the theory we know to be true today. 
Who knew that these lines that are so easy to overlook shone a light on the impact of glaciers in the Scottish Highlands and shaped our understanding of this landscape today? Seeing these lines, touching that rock, and hearing an expert enthusiastically share a fraction of his knowledge about these things somehow managed to make the vast geological timescales more tangible to me. Those fleeting moments I shared with the experts in geology and marine biology over the past two days made a lasting impact. Never again will I look at the ocean and ignore the tidal lines. Never again will I look at the mountains and step over a visible change in rocks. My view of the glens and the seas of Scotland will never be the same. I hope you enjoyed this story about my journey with wonder seekers to Oban and Fort William. If you feel inspired to add a learning experience to your own Scotland itinerary, make sure you add your name to our email list. This week, I'll be sharing some of my favourite things to do all over Scotland that allow you to learn from experts and really engage with the landscapes that surround you. You can sign up via the link in the show notes. Now let's take a quick detour and hear more about our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Wonder Seekers, an initiative that brings together science and tourism to inspire exciting learning adventures that are unique, authentic and sustainable. Wonder Seekers put together a carefully curated list of experiences in Scotland and beyond. The featured activities come from a wide range of scientific disciplines and vary from short guided experiences with experts to immersive citizen science projects on land and at sea. No matter which activity you join, you'll spark and satisfy your curiosity by participating in sustainable activities that increase your understanding and appreciation of the natural world. Find out more about Wonderseekers and exciting learning opportunities at wonderseekers.com. Discover, experience, expand your mind. And we're back. Now it's time for the practical part of the show. Here are five travel tips for a learning-inspired journey to the west coast of Scotland. Tip number one, slow down just a little. While the experiences I mentioned in today's story only take up a few hours in a day, I do recommend slowing down your itinerary if you want to make time for learning experiences. I find that the longer time I spend in an area, the deeper I can understand it. I meet more locals, have time for different kinds of activities, and don't have to miss out on any of the obvious highlights either. Travelling slower will allow you to engage with a location more deeply And I think that's exactly where the learning experience starts. Tip number two, join an activity with the Hebridean Whale and Dolphin Trust. The Hebridean Whale and Dolphin Trust is based on the Isle of Mull and there is a range of ways for you to get involved or join an activity. You can visit their Discovery Centre in Tobermory and learn about local marine wildlife there. 
you can join a guided coastal walk like the one we did and learn tips for spotting animals at sea. Or you can simply download the free Whale Track app to report your sightings. And if you're looking for a more immersive experience, sign up for a research expedition aboard the Silurian and help collect data about Hebridean marine wildlife. Tip number three, visit the Lochaber Geopark. Learning about the geology of the Scottish Highlands is easy. Your first point of action should be to visit the visitor centre of the Lochaber Geopark in Fort William. You can't miss it on the high street. Here you can pick up leaflets about routes and trails all over the park. The things you can learn there will prepare you for a tour around these sites, whether you head out by yourself or book a guided walk with an expert geologist who can bring the stories of the landscapes to life for you. Head to Glenroy to see the parallel roads, drive through the caldera on the Ardnamurchan Peninsula, or walk among some of the oldest rocks in Europe on the small isles. The Lochaber Geopark is actually in dire need of support, so know that your interest in their work can really make a difference. Tip number four, stay at Witchwood House B&B in Oban. There is no shortage of hotels and bed and breakfasts in Oban or Fort William. And since they are only about an hour apart, either would make an excellent home base for a trip in my footsteps. I wanted to give a shout out to Witchwood House B&B in Oban, where I stayed on my recent visit. They only just opened, but are already my favourite accommodation to recommend in the town. The rooms have uninterrupted sea views of the bay and look like they've jumped out of an interior design magazine. The owners are super friendly and always on site, and the breakfast is just delightful. I can't wait to stay there again. Tip number five. Use my travel guides to plan your trip. Head over to my Scotland blog, Watch Me See, and use my Oban and Fort William travel guides to plan your trip to these areas. Both guides are stuffed with ideas for things to do, great day trips from both towns, lots of recommendations for restaurants and places to stay, and dreamy photos to inspire your trip. I'll pop the link to both guides in the show notes. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own trip to Oban, Fort William, or elsewhere on the Scottish West Coast to learn about those fascinating landscapes, the animals, and the people that call them their home. Next week, we're speaking with Katie Murray, who is one of the researchers at the University of the Highlands and Islands, who are leading the Wonder Seekers project here in Scotland. We'll hear about the kinds of places that piqued her curiosity for learning more, what it is like to live in Fort William, the heart of the Highlands, and what visitors can expect from Wonder Seekers as they travel around Scotland. We'll also hear again from Siobhan and Ian, and what inspires them to share their knowledge with others. I hope you'll tune in again. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. I love hearing your thoughts and getting your messages after you listen to the podcast. If you did enjoy today's story, consider leaving a rating or a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we get, the more it's likely that the show is recommended to someone with similar interests. And also let me know if you ever visit a place or book an experience off the back of our stories. The other day, my hiking guide Tony from the Isle of Mull told me that he had guests who booked a tour with him after listening to my Mull episode from season two, and it truly made my day. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. 
Thanks to Fran Tarowskis, who is the co-producer and editor and does the sound design. And to Michelle Payne, who helps with transcripts and social media. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner. And all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different place in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.